in the midst of that, they became even more filled with joy. You know, in other words, this is not normal. (laughs) Not normal humanity. Uh, But, you know, over uh, Leviticus and Hebrews, it says that you are a royal priesthood, a peculiar nation. In other words, believers are not supposed to be like people of the world. We're a little different. It doesn't mean that we're uh, strange and wacky, although sometimes the world might think you're strange and wacky. Like you believe in something you cannot see as called faith. But my faith has substance. In other words, uh, you can just as good, really better than reach out and touch it. Because I have the witness on the inside of me. I like T.L. Osborne, who was a world missionary for years. He's gone on to to be with the Lord now. But, uh, you know... He said one of the greatest miracles, and it's the truth, is when you're born again, the love of God is poured into your heart. So that's supernatural love. Because if you live out of your flesh, letting your flesh dominate for a long enough period of time, uh, you can find out uh, when you're born again, you have, the Bible says that the love of Christ constrains us. Or like, you know, if I was just going to like... Try to hit somebody right now. Somebody might come and try to constrain me, right? I'm not like that type of fighter, but if I was, you know. I have one son who will remain nameless who is that type of fighter. So he's like, and Pastor Mark Hankins is that type of fighter, you know. He's like, somebody's always going to have a bloody nose when he was growing up. And so the love of Christ will constrain you. So somebody said, I don't have any supernatural evidence that God is alive or that anything's different because I'm born again. Well, if you are born again, you actually have the love of God himself on the inside of you constraining you and not only constraining you, but uh, trying and endeavoring to flow through you. And that love is supernatural. That's a miracle. And uh, if you know yourself on your worst day, you know that that's a miracle. The love of Christ constrains us. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. Uh, Dad Hagen used to tell us, he said, you know the word's working for you when you get thrilled with it. In other words, you're just excited and you're thrilled and you're happy. Why? Because it doesn't matter what your circumstance is. This is subject to change. Literally, uh, the natural is subject to change by the supernatural because things that are seen were made of things that are not seen. God's very words. So his words created the world in the beginning. And his word sustains life even today. And his word holds the universe together today. So it kind of makes you want to like find out what his word is and speak his word, and yield to his word, because his words never lose their power. It's interesting. So many things change. I'm 44 years old now, as of last month, and many things have changed in 44 years. If you go back to the town where I grew up, it's changed. And then, you know, I didn't realize it. We just had my 25th high school reunion this last summer, and I didn't realize it till like the day afterwards, and I was actually close to Indiana, and I'm like, ah! I missed my 25th reunion. And, um, but many things change. But God's word will never, ever change. It is written forever. Actually, the Bible says that the things of the earth will all pass away. The elements will melt with fervent heat. 
So not just will this iPad be melted, but the very elements that make up this iPad will be melted. But like in the same breath, but the word will endure and last forever. So if you can get the word on what you are dealing with in your life, it's something that you can take. Not only today will it affect you, but for all eternity, it'll change your life. So that's why we're people of the word, uh, because there's life in the word. And the word of God can change any situation. Psalm says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Isn't that horrible? When you have destruction in your life and you caused it? <laughs> maybe that's just me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that never happened to you. But you know, you're kind of like, wait a minute, I caused all this. How, why did I do that? No, you, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And not just your own, also, of course, destruction. The enemy, uh, Jesus told us that the uh, thief has come but for these reasons, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So if you want to know, is this the work of the Lord in my life? Is it stealing, killing, or destroying? Is it giving life and that more abundantly? Uh, that's a pretty, pretty simple thing. There's a minister by the name of uh, Kate McVeigh, which I haven't heard about her for a long time, but anyhow. Uh, she had a message she would preach. For years she preached this message. Real simple. God is good and the devil is bad. God is good and the devil is bad. And it's so true. God is good and the devil is bad. Every good gift comes down from above. From the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, no, nor shadow of turning. Now, there's not even a hint that his goodness is going to turn away from you because he's a good God and he is all-powerful and he has set his love upon you. In other words, he looked at you, he looked at me, and not just us that have received the Lord, but he looked at mankind and said, I have set my love upon them. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the word is Romans 3.23. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. Why? Because that means on my worst day, when I was messing up the worst, that's when God looked down and saw me and saw you and said, I love that girl. I love that boy. I love that man. I love that woman. And your worst state. Well, that's good news. That means when you're having a difficult time, God, he is loving you. He is trying to give you every opportunity to grab hold of his word so you can pull yourself through his word. It lifts you out of the pit. It lifts you out of the deep miry clay and sets your feet upon the rock yes. that you can stay. God is good. <laughs> he is so good. So the Macedonian churches, they're having these difficulties. And one translation says extreme poverty. Well, if you're having extreme poverty, that is difficulty enough. But they have extreme poverty plus afflictions. And in the midst of that, they could give with joy. If you skip down, I think it's to verse 5. He said, how could they do this? Well, they did it by, first of all, giving themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So if you're going to be uh, the Macedonian type of giver... You're going to do it by, first of all, submitting yourself to the Lord, and second of all, sowing a seed. In other words, you look to the Lord, you say, okay, Lord, what would you have me to do? 
Over in uh, chapter 9, verse 7, every man should give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. That means this morning as we worship the Lord with our giving, you don't have to give. But you might need to give. What does that mean? Well, that means money can dominate you or you can dominate money. But you say, I'm not going to allow lack to be my master. I'm not going to allow lack or deep poverty or affliction to make me just sad. Oh, it's a horrible day. And what am I going to do? No, I'm going to give as the Lord directs in my heart. And then I'm full of joy like the Macedonian believers. So you can give out of lack and give full of joy. And the same believers in chapter 8 go to chapter 9. Now it says God multiplies your seed sown. So they gave out of their lack in chapter 8, and they gave out of their abundance in chapter 9. And my favorite giving scripture currently of any scripture (laughs) is God, verse 8 of chapter 9, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That's you. God is able to make all grace abound towards, put your name in there. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always, this, this is the heart of God himself, that you always, not sometimes, not when you're doing what's right, no, that you always have all sufficiency in all things and can give to every good work. That's the heart of God concerning you. He desires that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers because he knew somebody's going to say, oh, this is all spiritual. It's all just about your soul. It's all just about your spirit. But no, he inspired through the Holy Spirit at the, um, was it Peter or Paul or John? Wrote that you prosper and be in health. I desire that you prosper and be in health and some, so that some theologian, well-meaning but misunderstood, theolo- misunderstanding theologian, couldn't say, that's just your spirit. Why? Even as your soul prospers. So that actually covers your spirit, your soul, and your body. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. <laughs> so God's plan for mankind is not to steal from them, not to kill them, not to destroy them, but to give you life and that more abundantly. And of course, that begins when you are recreated in Christ Jesus. You get a brand new spirit recreated in God himself. But it does not end there. Jesus said in John, I have come that you might have life. That is the life of God and the nature of God and that you would have it more abundantly. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have eternal life at that moment, not when you die. Eternal life comes into you, the life of God, the nature of God, so that your life here on the earth is to be affected, like you have heaven on earth. As He is now, so are we in this world. As He is, speaking of Christ... So are we in this world. Is Jesus sick in heaven? Is Jesus poor in heaven? Is Jesus overwhelmed in heaven? No, as he is, so are we in this world. He sent his word and he healed us. 
the power of His Word. It is everlasting. It is never-ending. The perfection of His Word. There's no end to the perfection of His Word. The psalmist said, I have found an end to the perfection of all things. In other words, you investigate something long enough that's earthly, and you'll find that you think, oh, that's perfect. No, that's not perfect. I, I, I probably shouldn't go here, but I'll say it. Maybe it's for somebody here. <laughs> I encourage young single men many times, because I'll talk to young single men a lot more normally than I'll talk to young single women. And young single men typically are very uh, moved by the appearance of young single women. And I will say, listen, you may like what you see, but it is not flawless. And if you like what you see and you get to marry that woman, uh, there's flaws. And then if you just keep like you're constantly just on the prowl, so to speak, every woman has flaws. So you may think like, oh, I'm really happy I'm married to this woman. And then like in a few years, you might be saying, well, I would rather uh, be married to that woman. Well, that woman has flaws just like that woman. In other words, there is an end to the perfection of all things. And it's not just like when people age. No, I don't care how, how, um, how uh, your measurements may <laughs> match up and your hairstyle. I don't even know all this stuff. <laughs> that you're like what the world calls it. <laughs> that really is so shallow. Yeah. So I encourage young men, you know, don't, you need to be attracted to someone, male or female, if you're, you know, when you're a young man or a young woman looking for a spouse, you need to be attracted, so don't take what I'm saying out of context. But there's so much more than just the outward appearance. When you find someone who is a person of the word, they have a quality that has no imperfections dwelling on the inside of them. And if you find someone, what you ought to look for is someone who has a loving, growing relationship with God. Amen. Because all of us need to grow, uh, no matter what our stage of spiritual development, all of us uh, can grow more and lose more. None of us are perfected in love. None of us are perfected in faith. But if you have someone who has submitted themselves to the Lord and they love Him, then you can pray when you get married, like my wife probably does. <laughs> Lord, you speak to Him. <laughs> Why? Because I might be upset at her, but I'm going to listen to him. And then the Holy Spirit told Peter to write down, in case Pastor Tim gets upset at his wife, tell him, I will not listen to his prayers. Do you know it says that in Peter to husbands? If you speak wrongfully to your wife, like you cut off your communication with the Lord. So she's really glad that's in there, and so am I. Because she never does anything wrong, but if I get a little irritated, and then I want to be like, well, I'm going to go, what am I going to go prepare a sermon? <laughs> I go, and you know, you feel like on the inside, when you're born again, you have the witness of the Spirit, and you're like, there is no witness, and you're kind of off on your own. You're like, this is kind of like empty feeling, and the only thing I get when I look to the Word is... How did you treat your wife? <laughs> I say, well, right? So what do you do? Well, I make it right with my wife. And like that, I have full access. 
Well, I'm doing this by faith. Mark 11.25 says, and when you stand, after he said, have faith in God, command the mountains to move. If you believe what you say comes to pass, you get whatever desires your heart are. And when you stand praying, forgive. Mm -hmm. Meaning, don't try to have an intimate relationship with the Lord and have unforgiveness and bitterness towards somebody else. Because that will stop uh, the ability of God to work in your life. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but it's not difficult. You just say, oh, Lord, forgive me. You don't dwell on it. A lot of people, they want to dwell on, well, I did this, I did that. That's really self-centered and, and, and prideful. Because like, you're saying, like, your mistakes are bigger than God's power. You're saying, like, you're more, you, your ability to make these mistakes is more than God's ability to redeem you from those mistakes. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's trying to steal from you. That's trying to kill a relationship. That's trying to destroy something. No, you just, you just take, I teach my children this. You know, I said, you just be bold. If you know you messed up, just say, oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. I said, then all of a sudden, you are free. Rather than let that thing control you, let that thing dominate you, make you have a sad day all day, make you have a sad week all week. No, it's a tactic of the enemy to steal from you, to kill a relationship, and to destroy things in your life. What's he going to do? He's stealing your time, for one. He's stealing your mental energy, for two. And he's probably going to be stealing some money. They might be stealing some health. In other words, you, you don't give him any access. Because if you act on the word and you trust the Lord, look to the Lord, you don't have to be perfect. In fact, you're not perfect. But that's the message of faith. That's the message of faith in Christ that he is our perfection. He is our completion. He is our strength when we are weak. He is our hope when we feel hopeless. He is our light when it's dark. He's good and he loves us and he's made a way for us. And um, verse 7 of chapter 8 says, As you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, what you're saying and what you're getting from the Lord, and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see to it that you abound in this grace also. In other words, God is not satisfied, like we said, that you prosper and be in health. That's what we said before. He is not satisfied that it is just that you're abounding in faith and words from him and knowledge and diligence and love. See to it that you abound in this grace of giving and receiving also, that you always having all sufficiency in all things can give into every good work. So God is not trying to take something from you. He's trying to have you experience all sufficiency in all things so that you can give into every good work. So if you don't have enough to pay your rent or your mortgage or your food bill or your school bill or whatever you have, how is that all sufficiency? The Macedonian churches were that way. They had to pay their internet bill? Maybe not. In other words, they're like deep poverty. And they're like, this is a very afflicting situation. This is afflicting. I'm going to give myself to the Lord. Sometimes, you know how the Bible says it's hard for the rich man, you know, to enter, harder than the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's hard for a rich man. Why? Well, because many times someone that's rich, their money has them rather than them having their money. 
it's really nothing to do with the money except for the influence that that money is allowed to have over the person. Because if you do a study of the disciples that Jesus called in the New Testament, these were not poor people. I mean, Matthew's father Zebedee, they had to go get him out of the boat with the hired servants so he could come and, you know, serve with the Lord, be one of the disciples. So uh, you're not talking like that. They're the ones that said when Jesus said that, they're the ones that said, well, then who can be saved? Because they're like, wait a second, I thought we were like on the right path. No, you don't want money to have you. And one of the best ways I know to get rid of the power of money ruling you is you sow a seed into the kingdom of God. And you say, I, I sow a seed. I say this so many times. Even if it's not, you know, you give as the Lord directs you in your heart. But I'll tell you what, when the thought comes to me, well, you just never see that again. Or what are you doing? Oh, I like to just double it. But if I, don't have, if I don't have something to double it right there with me or whatever, then I'll at least do something more. In other words, I'm not going to let the thought, whether it's just from natural human reasoning or from the devil himself, I will not let that dominate me because the word of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So I say, I'm honoring God with this. And the blessing of the Lord on this is greater than the curse that the devil's trying to put on me, trying to put on my family, trying to put on people I know. God is greater. And when I come in line with his laws of giving and receiving, I don't have to make it come to pass. It's actually a spiritual law. And it will come to pass. I remember Dad Hagen uh, said about a um, guy in his church, and this guy was not a Christian, but he had heard about tithing. So he tithed, and his business turned around and began to increase and multiply before he was even a Christian. <laughs> Why? Because God has laws in place. And one of the laws is the law of seed time and harvest. And you get in line with that law, it's like you don't have to be a Christian for gravity to work. <laughs> you don't have to be a non-Christian for gravity to work. Gravity is a natural law that's, that's uh, put in the world. Well, there is the law of giving and receiving, the law of seed time and harvest. And that law is working for you whether you realize it or not. Not just in finances. Jesus also talked about uh, you're going to reap what you sow. Right? So you might change what you're saying to some people. <laughs> Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and your love to us, see to it that you abound in this grace also. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to purpose in your heart, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. God's a God of increase. You act on his word. He, he watches his word to perform it. Not my word. In fact, you don't get any faith from anything I say unless the Spirit of God quickens it to you. Because faith comes by hearing the Lord speak. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God or the rhema of God. So when I speak the word under the anointing, you can get faith. But just because you're reading what the Bible says and your head is registering on your head doesn't mean you're getting any faith. Faith comes from hearing God speak. 
So why? Well, it's like the Bereans in the Word of God. They were more noble because they checked in the Word to see if these things were really so. So you look in the Word when, when you're under ministry like you are right now, and later when you're studying, you look to the Lord. That's why the Bible says you don't have need that any man teach you. Yet Jesus, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. One of them was the office of the teacher. Well, so that seems like, well, the Bible is contradicting itself. No. You have men and women anointed of the Lord and uh, standing in offices from the Lord that yield to him. And as they yield to him, there is a supply. And you will know the Spirit of God is teaching you through their voice. It may be their voice, but it's his words. In other words, we shouldn't think of any of this as of ourselves. It's of Him. And thank God it's of Him. Because I don't have power to increase you. I don't have power to heal you. I don't have power to deliver you. But I have within me the power to increase you. I have within me the power to deliver you. I have within me the power to heal you. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. The glory of God is all of the power of God and all of the goodness of God and all of the mightiness of God. And that dwells, that glory dwells or lives on the inside of every believer. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When the world comes against you, don't keep your mouth shut. Like Pastor Mark Hankins says, you lose by default when you keep your mouth shut. You say, well, I'm not going to say something bad. Well, that's a good first step, but you ought to say what the Word says because the whole course of your life and my life is directed by our words and the words that we believe and the words that we speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of your tongue and of my tongue. What are you going to say about it? What just happened in your life? What are you going to say about it? What is your response? What happens? Well, you set your course or you set your sail like your life is like a ship. You set a sail with your words. Your head may be saying, I don't know. This is too much for us. I don't think I can do this. Your flesh is crying out and you're just going to fail. Everything's going to go down. The ship is sinking. You better look for a life preserver. But if you look to your spirit, you'll find out there is peace that passes all understanding. It goes beyond all of this. But many times you are not conscious or aware of that peace because you have allowed the cares and the worries to dominate you and you're trying to fix it instead of doing what the Word says, which is casting all of your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Amplified says He cares about you affectionately and for you watchfully. In other words, he is watching out for what concerns you in life, and he has great affection that he has directed towards you, but he is not a jerk. He's a perfect gentleman. He will not force anyone to receive his son, and once you've received his son, he will not force you to receive his blessing. But he will do everything that he has power to do to get the message to you. You say, well, I thought he could do anything. Well, in one sense, God can do anything, and in another sense, he can't. Why? Because the Bible says that he has bound himself to his words. He's not a man that he should lie. He's a God of love. 
and he's a God of justice. You can't be full of, you can't be love and justice personified and illegally take someone out of darkness and put them into light. Love doesn't force you. Love invites you. So love has an invitation for every human being on the face of the earth. An invitation for what? To steal, kill, and destroy? No. An invitation for life and that more abundantly. That comes through receiving Jesus Christ. And the way to God himself is through his son, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Somebody said, oh, I'm really living now. Uh, years ago, there was a saying, Y-O-L-O, -O, YOLO. You only live once, and so people would like tag it for doing really crazy things where they're almost going to kill themselves. You know, <laughs> YOLO! I'm jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> Hope you check the parachute. <laughs> One translation of uh, uh, John 10.10 10, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and more abundantly. Uh, it says, I have come that you might have life that really is life. Now, you may flesh out for a second and be like, this is really living. Uh, I hope you understand when I say this. When I was uh, stationed here in the mid-90s, uh, I used to go up to uh, Liberty and Round Top up by uh, Gettysburg and go skiing all the time. I love to ski. So I bought myself some skis and some boots, and the bindings that go on them and all that stuff, and uh, would go up there. Man, I just got such a thrill, just so fun. I love to go as fast as you can go. I was really too dangerous. <laughs> and the grace of the Lord protected me, I, I suppose, during the middle of that. But then when I got to be, I was probably 18, 19 then, and I was about 20, 21, I, I really just got serious about the things of God. And... I still, in fact, I haven't gone skiing for years. Maybe we'll go later next year or something like that. I still enjoy skiing, but it doesn't fulfill. It's like so short-sighted. Right? So the things of the earth are wonderful. There's many blessings. Uh, he gives us richly all things to enjoy, and that's wonderful. But it is so shallow compared to the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory, that no matter how many times I make a mistake and I mess up and I can't do it and I fail, that I don't have to live under the guilt and the condemnation of that, that I just say, you know what? Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus, that his very blood has cleansed me, purified me, set me apart, and raised me up with Christ Jesus to a brand new life. The man who did that is gone. He is dead. I'm living a brand new life, which is simply Christ using my body. <laughs> that you don't have to have guilt when you go to sleep. That you don't have to wonder if you're going to make it to heaven. That you know that you know that you know that you have God himself directing you, living on the inside of you, endeavoring to put you in the right place at the right time. If you just listen to him, Hallelujah. That you start out, some of these young people, that you don't have to like go through like horrible experiences in life and have all of these difficulties. All you have to do is you just draw near to God through Jesus Christ, His Son, and He will direct your path. Amen. He'll keep you out of the wrong place at the wrong time and put you in the right place at the right time. 
You don't let your flesh dominate you. Other people say a bunch of different things, peer pressure, and then they have social media and all these voices and all these inputs. The one voice that you need to have your dial tuned to, well, you're so young. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the one place, the website, you need to have your internet browser <laughs> typed to, what do you call that? I don't even know what you call it. Connected to is the voice of God himself. And number one, he speaks primarily through his word, but then his spirit will make his word real to you. So all everybody else is doing all this. Don't just make a decision on your own. Jesus is your Lord. You look to him and say, Lord, should I go with them or should I not? Because it might sound good, it might look good on the outside, it might even look good to your parents or somebody else. But you need to find out from the Lord yourself, Mama, Dad, I, I, I really want to go, but someone on the inside, it just something just doesn't seem right about that. Right. Right. That has saved you from a mess. Preserve your life. Because God loves you. In fact, we are instructed as adults to have faith like you. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, just simple, I just trust you. My kids, you know, they're like, Daddy, they're going to jump. Daddy, catch me. Daddy, catch me. Well, when they start out young, they trusted me until I dropped them a couple times. <laughs> I am so embarrassed to say that, but I did drop them. So I hear all these other ministers, they use that illustration like, okay, like daddy's going to catch you and the kid just trusts. And uh, so the last time I did that with one of my children, they're like, are you really going to catch me? <laughs> so I say, aren't you glad the Lord's not like that? He will never miss. The Bible says that God sits in the heavens and laughs, and laughter is like a medicine. You know, it's good to uh, laugh. It's good to enjoy life and be full of joy, that you are independent of your circumstances, that your circumstances do not, you do not give your circumstances permission to steal your joy. Because your joy did not come from them anyhow. Your joy actually come from the Lord. And that joy is your strength. Those Macedonian believers probably felt kind of weak, but they tapped into the joy of the Lord, and they're like, hey, bring it on, because I am strong in the Lord. You think poverty, you think you're going to get a handle on me, and you're going to push me down? No way, because Jesus himself said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Literally, that means those that life and circumstance and finances has pushed over and cowed down. Jesus came to you and said, rise up, young man. Rise up, young woman. Rise up. You are delivered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Where do I go now, Gary? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Therefore, as you abound in everything. So the Lord doesn't want you lacking in any area. He said, as you abound in everything. I want you abounding and increasing in everything. I don't want you operating in lack. 
that you don't have enough strength for the day, that you don't have enough finances for the end of the week, that you don't have enough direction for your situation. You know what? The direction is actually there. You're just tuned in to the wrong thing. Your browser is pointed to the wrong website. Am I doing better, young, young ones? Or you have the wrong app on quick access. The double-click thing? Is Android like that? iPhone? No, it's not. Oh, well. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and your, and your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amplified says he prizes above all else. So as you give today, and this week and this month, I want to encourage you with the word of God. Give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. If you don't understand what God is saying in his word concerning finances, you may have some challenges giving cheerfully. Well, then just at least give sacrificially. Give because you love God. But then study the word and find out if what I'm telling you is actually in the word. And I think you'll find it's more stable than what even I'm saying it. Because I'm a man. I know in part. I prophesy in part. But the more you study the word concerning the will of God and concerning your finances, you will find out in chapter after chapter and page after page, God himself has promised to increase you, provide for you. If it, you know, he said, like, look at the lilies of the field. Look at how they are elaborately decorated. And they're here today, gone tomorrow. How much more do I care for you? I'm paraphrasing. But they're arrayed, one translation says, in all of their splendor. Yet they don't take any thought for, well, how, tomorrow morning, what am I going to put on when I open up my wings or whatever that is, petals, when I open up my petals? Are you not much more valuable than they are? You are. You were bought with a price. If you want to know how much you are worth, you're worth the life and the blood of the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. You may not feel valuable like that, but you're not seeing yourself the way God sees you then. God sees you as worth the sacrifice of the life of his only son. He loves you with a love that has no end. Human love has an end. But the love of God has no end to it. It's, it has no end. It's never ending. So, as you give, give as you purpose in your heart. Just say, Lord, what would you have me to do? How can I honor you and worship you? And follow what he tells you to do. Because there is faith there. 
what he tells you to do produces faith, which is substance. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you know these Macedonian believers, they had things not seen called money. <laughs> like they had hope for money, but they couldn't see it. So when Paul had left Titus there to teach them more concerning giving and receiving, and they got that word from the Lord, that thing that was just a hope and a dream got substance. And that's how you can give full of joy because you have the substance of faith. In other words, hey, you know God's got it. And it's just a matter of time before the natural seen realm has no choice but to, for that to manifest through it. It's like when God said, let there be light, what's the next part say? There was light. So faith is substance. One translation says, now faith is giving substance to things hoped for. So you get faith on it, which comes from hearing what God said or seeing what he said. You know, he reveals it to you. You got solid ground. That's what I'm trying to say. You got solid ground. People might not understand, like, how can you do that? How can you sow that seed? And, you, you know, that's your last bit of money. Well, it's like the cruise of oil in the Old Testament. The prophet said, what you doing? Well, we're getting ready to make the last bit of meal, and we're going to have some bread, and then we're going to die. Oh, no. The representative of God came to your house that day. Make me something first. That's what he said. She did. Do you know, as long as she kept baking, that cruise never ran out of oil. The provision of the Lord. Didn't make sense to the natural mind. How would you like to have to have been the prophet? That the Lord said, tell her to make you a cake first. Like they've already been pinching every little bit they can. So much so that they're on their last thing. She's like, as soon as we make this, we're done. No, to the natural mind, it doesn't make sense. But God said, you just let me put my blessing on a little bit of what I have entrusted to you and watch my anointing for increase affect what you have. If that was not enough, you can come over into the Gospels and find where there's a whole crowd of people and Jesus was maybe a little bit like I am today, long-winded. No, this is going to be the main message. Don't worry about anybody, okay? And so the disciples came and said, Jesus, everybody's kind of getting hungry. They need some food. Or Jesus said they need to eat, rather. And the, and the disciples are like, oh, yeah, they need to eat. But all we have is five loaves and two fishes. And what is that among so many? What does your giving make a difference among so many? There are billions of people who don't know Jesus. How is your little giving going to make a difference? Because when the Lord's blessing is upon your seed, not only does it affect you that you can also eat, but there were 12 basketfuls left over. They gathered so much because he, it was turned over to him and he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. God desires 
to increase you in ways that will blow your mind. You know the disciples that day did not expect to be trying to figure out what do we do with all of these le this leftover food, all of these baskets, not with some stuff in it, baskets full. So the Lord said, here, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll give you just enough. Oh, no. He is the God of more than enough. He is the El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Not, not I'm just going to get you by. No, he's the God who's more than enough. Most of the time, the reason that you have just get by is because you have just get by faith. What does that mean? Well, you trust that God is the kind of God who's just going to get you by. Because you don't want to, like, stress him out too much or, you know, like other people need some finance too. Other people need some help too. And so you don't want to take too much. You're not understanding who God is. He is the God who is more than enough. You're thinking like a human. You're thinking like we have like uh, 7 billion people on the earth and we have 7 billion. No, no, we'll say we have 14 billion meals, so everybody gets two. No, he is the creator and he is not limited. Well, he is limited by our stinking thinking. If we don't act on the word... The second I acted on the word to believe that God raised Christ from the dead and say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, then what he had done before the foundation of the world, he ordained Christ as a lamb that was slain and killed for me, for you. But that did not become a reality in my life until I for myself said, I believe that. And Jesus, I take you as my Lord. In that instant, the life of God recreated me, came on the inside of me, and changed me. Yet, from when I was, even before I was born, in my mother's womb, that was available to me. But until I appropriated it, I did not benefit from it. So I grew up, and I, did not, I understood that, um, uh, to some extent, that you could be born again, and you could start a new life in Christ, and it was not of yourself. But I did not understand that Jesus was also my healer and my provider. And as soon as I found that out, I mean, I could hardly, hardly not run or dance or shout. Because why? He came and he brought freedom to all of mankind. That we are free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty. And when I started to see that revealed by the Spirit of God, I started to realize, wait a second, Alzheimer's runs in my family, and I natural family. And I have been told, you know, you kind of better be careful as you get older. Watch for this. Maybe take a test. Maybe do all this type of stuff. Because why? Well, people are, you know, they're not bad-hearted. They're just trying to, whatever, help you. But I found out my bloodline changed. But you know, before I found that out, I had no faith for that. I had hope that I would not get Alzheimer's. But I had no solid ground that I would not get Alzheimer's. What brought me solid ground was 1 Peter 2.24 says, By whose stripes you were healed. What brought me solid ground was Matthew 8.17 says that he took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. 
and by his stripes I am healed. What brought me solid ground was, I desire that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, I found out about the heart of God and the reality of what his son accomplished for me and that because he said it and he's not a man that he should lie and he watches his word to perform it. I found out that I have something more solid than any number of expert doctors who have spent a lot of money and a lot of time and I'm thankful that they've done it. But I have something that supersedes what they say. I have the creator himself who said, not only did I create you, but now uh, the devil came to steal from you, try to kill you and to destroy you, and now I have set you free from all the power of the enemy, and nothing will in any ways harm you. Amen. I told a story, I don't remember if it was last Wednesday or Sunday, but this um, uh, Brother Hagen, who you know, we went to his Bible school and then traveled with him for a couple of years there, and uh, just such a Thankful for such a wonderful influence uh, on our life and anointing and different things. So he said when he was real young, about 19, 20 years old, he was pastoring his first church. And in the first church he was pastoring, he had two families, more than two families, but he was talking of two particular families. And one, uh, both of them had children. And one of the families, you know, they were in church every single week. And they tithed all the time. You know, they, they tithe on everything. You know, you can't tithe all the time. It's just tithing, right? So they tithed. Well, the other family, they were like in once a month, maybe every once in a while, and maybe they gave like just very, very little change in their pocket or something like that. Well, they would both call, uh, the mothers of both those families would call when the children would get sick and ask for the pastor, who was Brother Hagin, to come and pray for them. And so he said uh, one day uh, he had just been uh, at the house of the family that wasn't so faithful, and sure enough, those kids were instantly healed. And he said, I was like... uh, kind of upset at the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, we need to discuss this. Because this family, they are there every week. And they give every time. And they tithe. Yet, every time I go, they are never healed. Why is that? Because it seemed like you should heal them and not heal them. Right? That's how the natural man thinks. Well, they're doing all the right things, so the Lord's going to bless them, and the Lord's going to help them. No, it has nothing to do with that. The only work that we do that affects what we experience as far as the blessings of the Lord is called uh, faith. In other words, we believe God, what He said. I didn't believe God, what He said concerning sickness and disease, because why? Number one reason for lack of, uh, for unbelief or lack of faith is you don't know. You have no knowledge. What happened? As soon as I heard what the word said, I'm like, well, this is great. Then I don't have to fear these things dominating me. I don't have to fear these things coming on me because I heard the word of the Lord. So he's having it out with the Lord and um, he's having it out with the Lord. He said all of a sudden when I was kind of grumbling to the Lord, The Lord showed me myself going over to the woman's house that was very unfaithful and didn't give very much. He said, I saw myself, and when I would get, I was across the street. She met me coming from across the street every time, except for one time she was halfway on the porch, but she was always outside waiting. So I'm so glad you came. Uh, You know, I may not be much, but when you pray, I know God loves those children and he will heal those children. 
So they're always healed. Well, the other lady, he said, then he saw himself go to her house. He goes up on the porch. Nobody's there. Knocks on the door. Nobody answers. Knocks again. Nobody answers. Gets his pocket knife out. Thought, well, maybe if I could bang something metal on here. No, still didn't answer. Starts to go around to the back. When he starts to go around to the back, finally somebody opens the door and said, hey, who is it? Oh, it's you. Come on in. Like, not really happy to see you. He said, well, uh, somebody here called and asked me to come. Yeah, yeah, it must have been my sister or whatever, you know, whatever. So the mom said, you know, you come. They're back there. Go pray for them. I mean, they're not going to get healed. They never get healed when you pray for them anyhow, so just, you know, just do it. He said, then I saw it. One of them had honor for the Lord and the Lord's representative, and they were people of faith. In other words, they trusted God. What did she say? She did not quote Mark 11, 23, and 24. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed. She said, I know that God is a good God, and he doesn't want those children sick. Well, she spoke what the word says concerning the will of God. Somebody said, I had a friend one time, said to me, how come if healing is true and it's from the Lord, how come no one in my church ever gets healed? And so I think the Lord gave me words because uh, I didn't, wasn't like premeditating or anything. I just said, because it kind of bubbled up from inside of me, I said, well, does your church uh, give the opportunity for people to be prayed for that would like healing in their body? And he said, no. And I said, do they ever teach about it? No. And I said, well, then why would you expect that people would be getting healed in your church because you're not even given opportunity or talking about it or anything concerning the word with it? And he was like, he was honest. He was like, huh, I never thought of that. Well, there's a lot of things we never thought of just because we're doing it. Well, because you have whatever you say. And so with those two ladies, they got exactly what they said. The one said, I know God is not his will that those kids be sick. And he said, call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint him with oil and the prayer of faith to save the sick. Raise him up. If he committed sins, he'll be forgiven him. She said, so I know when you pray, God's going to heal those children. The other woman said, well, it's not going to do any good. You can pray. We never get healed. Well, she also got exactly what she said and what she believed. So you say, well, then I, I shouldn't be given. No. You know, you get other blessings, other access when you give. Had nothing to do with their works. Everything to do with their faith. Because faith connects you to God. Because faith is in His Word. And He is His Word. 